Today, we continue the conversation with a human who is changing the narrative of how society understands people with disability. Winning her first gold medal in the pool as a 14-year-old at the Atlanta Olympics and being the fastest woman in the world in all Paralympic events when she showed up in 2000 for the Games, I'm not sure her parents ever anticipated this for her when she was diagnosed with a spinal muscular atrophy at 12 months old and told she may not make it to her teens. I mean, just imagine, how would you even handle that diagnosis as a parent? I mean, gosh, her parents made the brave decision to invent their own rehabilitation program that ended up shifting the way doctors and specialists now view her disability. They changed the course of their daughter's life and that of so many more. And that just inspires me without end as a parent. So currently, Carney Liddell is the Queensland ambassador for the National Insurance Disability Scheme, which was just personal because our um, Nat's brother actually is part of that scheme. So I thought it was really cool that you're the ambassador for that. She sits on the United Nations Women's Board. She's been awarded the Pride of Australia Medal. She won the Teacher and Trainer of the Year for Queensland and holds a master's in clinical social work and a double degree in communications. So clearly, this girl doesn't sit still. And we're going to talk about this, but I've learned that her son, her two-and-a-bit-year-old, also doesn't sit still. So karma, karma, karma. So um, she is an enticing speaker who weaves her story into your heart. And you can't help but rise from your seat when she's finished and applaud what is humanly possible when a person says, I can. This was the response during her TEDx talk in 2014 when she talks about the value of having a happy baby. And I can't wait to chat to her more about motherhood with her two-year-old Kai. You know, we so have to uncover what drives this woman to create so much into the world. So girlfriend, we haven't Ooh. caught up in a long time. So are you <laughs> stuck into it? That's an introduction. Woo. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. I can't believe it's been that long since my TEDx talk. I didn't I, realize it was 2014. 2014. My goodness. I, That's like. Olympic years, four years. Yeah, it just doesn't feel, it feels like yesterday, that talk. And now I'm living it, right? Which is Isn't weird. It amazing that I was watching that and I was, I looked at the date, exactly thing. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, she wasn't pregnant yet. She wasn't. No. Like, imagine the premonition. And my. Well, I didn't think I could, I didn't think I could have babies back then. I didn't think I could actually have a child. So I was in that really cycle of grief around kids. So. It's very oh. interesting to be on the other side of it. Yeah. Okay. I love, okay, great. So that is <laughs> a bombshell. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually what I want to know. So at the time you were grieving, not being able to have children. So that means that it was a dream. It was something you wanted to do. Yeah. When I say grieving, uh, I'm careful with that word. As part of my social work uh, masters, I did a lot of work around grief and loss and trauma with mm. uh, pediatrics. That was my I guess my specialization, that was my intrigue. That's why I went into it. I've always mm. been so fascinated with humans and why we do what we do. Mm. And none of us have figured it out, including me. But yeah, I, I was really in that cycle back then because I was 34. Mm. I was engaged to a not a very nice person. And yeah, I really had spent really the last five or six years previous to that thinking I couldn't physically carry a child and also I wasn't diagnosed to the point of knowing whether I'd passed the disease on right so I was in that really weird phase of 
Nobody knew whether I could do it. And I also had really severe endometriosis, which I've had three laparoscopies now. Got it. Um, I had endometriosis to the point that I was coming out of my belly button, which is very rare. And I thought they were moles. And, you know, I used to wear bikinis, so I used to call them my little aliens and freak my friends out whenever I could with these little, <laughs> what I thought were little moles and had them taken out. And the plastic surgeon that took them out uh, called me instantly when the uh, pathology report came in and said, you need to come in now. And, yeah, so I had endometriosis coming out of my umbilical cord, which is my, my belly button. In other words, it was so in me, it was so overflowing that it was trying to get out. So that was a five-and-a-half-hour surgery uh, on my, just before my 30th birth, birthday and my best friend's um, wedding where I was the only bridesmaid. That's why I remember when it was. Yeah. <laughs> because it was that month of all these, you know, big milestone stuff that I had to do hens parties and 30ths and, and this beautiful wedding for my best friend, which was wild and fun. Yeah. I did it all, but yeah, it was all very, I, I didn't, you know, I had moments where I'd talk about this whole kid thing and my, I think my friends picked up on it. Hmm. Um, they always say they never know what's going on with me until I'm in a hospital or like it's really drastic. And that's why I think I'm godmother as many times as I am. I'm very fortunate to be godmother 455 times because everyone thought I couldn't have kids and everybody knew everybody knew I was very good with kids and loved kids and was very maternal and spoiled all their children. So they're aware of the grief process probably more than I was. But, yeah, I was cycling. It was a interesting time, hence... Yeah, that TED Talk came out and I had to, you know, if you've done a TED Talk, you know, you've got to choose a... And a call to action or a new idea. Yes. That's what I had to do. So it came to me because obviously everyone was having kids and around mm. me and everyone kept saying, all I want to do is have a healthy child when they were asked that question when they're pregnant. So, yeah, it took me until like mid-30s to realise that I was the unhealthy baby that everyone doesn't want because I was born with my disease and born with my disability and definitely born very unhealthy. So mm. it struck a chord in me. I thought, oh, no, hang on a minute. These labels that we put on people with disabilities and people that are different start so young. We label us so young as being, you know, not wanted, less than, mm. non-celebrated, you, whatever the words are. Yeah. Did you carry that? Like, you're, for me, you, do you carry that and you've overcome it? Or was this just not even part of the dialogue the way you were raised? Yeah, it wasn't part of the dialogue. I, I certainly... Um, I didn't, I, 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 I've become more aware of how careful I am and it wasn't strategic. I'm a very, I'm, I'm very, uh, I always say I think details must be a muscle because I'm, I'm missing <laughs> the ability to understand details and follow direction, but I'm not really. But I, yeah. I am very careful and have been very careful from a, quite a young age to monitor the public. Um, mm. And I'm very selective to who I put around me. And I say that I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because, you know, I just said I was engaged to a, t a terrible human. But for a long time, I was very select and careful with who I put around me. Um, yeah. And that was truly from my parents being that way inclined as well and choosing the right people, choosing beautiful friends. It was a, it was a very happy childhood. And I certainly, whatever I wanted to do at school, et cetera, that everyone said yes. And now that I'm an adult with a disability, 
I don't know how that happened as a child because everywhere I go now, everyone says no still to people with disabilities, including myself. Even when yeah. I even when I try and do basics like fly in this country with it with a wheelchair. So, hmm. luckily for me, I had this really blessed childhood with yes, 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 which mm-hmm. prepared me with this crazy good healthy self-esteem which mm. has helped me in the, in the latter part of my life because I can tell you now if I didn't have that I wouldn't be the person I am today and I'd be bitter I would be yeah. negative and bitter and scared and probably scared to go out the front door because yeah it, it is a harder world as an adult with a disability but mm. I had that crazy good healthy self-esteem as a child which is it, which has been like my shield and do you what do you feel now as a parent yourself to Kai what do you feel are the messages that you're carrying forward with him because of how you were raised? Oh, look, I just give him as much love as possible. And I certainly am careful with the words that I use around him. And again, I'm careful who I put around him, but I just, I just look for his, what he likes to do at this stage, what he's like to do, what he does not like to do and, and try and direct him as much as possible happiness like he's a very happy child which I didn't understand um the power of I know everyone calls it manifestation now it's not a word that I often use Mm. um but I guess it it's something that I did very much so with that TED talk because I kept on saying in my TED talk all I want to have is a happy child instead of saying all I want to have is a healthy child yeah because even though I was desperate to find out whether I'd pass on my condition my disease my muscle waste exist to my child it wasn't because I didn't want to have a child with a disability at all because I knew the risks involved with any human having a child mm. with a disability if you want to have a child you don't know what they're going to have boy or girl and you certainly don't know whether your child is going to be born with a disability or acquire a disability that's the if you're going to roll a dice mm. then that's on this one side of the dice and I knew that very much so mm. um, because I'm surrounded by disability in fact disability is probably people disabilities I'm a majority of my life not minority that's how much uh, disability is in my life but the reason why I was so desperate to find out whether I I passed on my condition wasn't just for me it was also for my parents because they've never been told what happened you know what was the reason for my disease and as you would understand as a mother that went through pregnancy um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you could empathize with mothers of children with disability, they spend their whole life thinking about those nine months, literally. My mother has spent 40 years thinking about she drunk too much Ribena juice. She jumped into the river to save my dog that had a duck in its mouth when she was pregnant with me. And that river had been sprayed with those poisons we used back in the day to kill the weeds, you know in Rockhampton. She, she has spent her life with that, that little tiny question, which is not tiny to her. It's, it's huge and it's powerful. And I'm surrounded by parents with children with disabilities because in my work and they do, they blame themselves, even if it's genetics, even if it's unknown, there's this, there's this grief with it. So I knew that I wanted to do it for my parents and my brother who's had three children and myself and I didn't find out actually before I fell pregnant accidentally with my little darling, but that's the question. It was an accident. 
Yeah. Why don't yeah. I know that? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so- no one is, it's interesting. Yeah. It, this happened to me on radio just recently. The, the host who I know quite well thought that it was IVF and started talking about IVF. And I was like, oh no. Mine was like a couple of too many red wines and Hey, oh, isn't that I awesome? I didn't get pregnant. Okay. Mm. Great. Yeah, so, so life had a plan plan's. for you. Okay, got that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm very happy that it happened. Obviously, it's like a miracle to me. I, I don't think I have a day that goes by that I, I truly cannot believe that I'm a mother most days. Beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, you just said so much just then because I just <laughs> – um, you did, actually, because you've – identified an area that I didn't realize it was so prevalent, but I know that Nat's mother goes through, there's a guilt about a recalled yeah. product that she took during her pregnancy with Nat's brother. And, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. it, just when you said that, I was like, Whoa, that's what that is, you know, and it's constant and guilt and, and, it's, and yeah, ooh. grief and trauma. It, it changes people. And we're only really, I reckon the last five years, the average person is understanding a bit more about trauma, but I tell you what, us clinicians, we're really digging deep into this trauma stuff because I tell you what, it really changes people and we've got to start thinking about it, researching it better, and we've certainly got to stop diagnosing the way that we do around the world because it changes parents, how they raise their kids. Oh, my, I'm going to be honest. My mind is like, do we take this whole conversation around trauma? Cause I think <laughs> cause we could, and I think it's really important. And I think we have a lot of, um, you know, when war veterans come back from the war, mm-hmm. we, we now know about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Like we talk about that, but I think that there's so much trauma when people have a miscarriage oh. I think that there, that nobody talks about. I think if you lose mm-hmm. a child, there's that, uh, there's that trauma, but I mean, even, um, the birthing process, I, I had mm-hmm. some and I didn't know I had it cause I dissociated yeah. to handle it. And it only came up two years later. Um, and so I'm so glad that you are spearheading this and I, my mind does want to go down the trauma route, but I want to get an overall picture of you first and then hopefully you'll come back and we can actually call this, (laughs) call this what it should be called, you know, really focusing on um, helping people move through that trauma. But the question I have is because we're talking about this topic, it makes me think about how you are the face of so many things like the United Nations for women, um, you know, domestic and family violence council, national disability scheme. Like how do you feel about being a spokesperson for so many important causes? Oh, blessed. Mm. grateful i i went back when i went back to study social work at 33 or 34 whenever it was i did my masters i always knew that when i did my first degree in communications it was purely because everybody thought that's what i should do Mm. i didn't follow my own path it was like i when i was 14 or 15 when i broke my first world record as a a paralympic swimmer no if you want to go back to that place it was in the 90s I was in a town, you know, beef capital of Australia, Rockhampton. <laughs> I, you know, I was um, the only disabled kid at my school. I felt, I felt like I was the only disabled kid, obviously, in the world because mm. that's my, that was my world. Yeah. And I was this pit bull. I always called myself a pit bull when I went into school. I, 
I went into high school pretty much being told either outwardly or subconsciously by people that I would be bullied. And, I, you know, I was obviously uh, different looking. I wore some calipers. I walked with a really, you know, pretty obvious, what I call it, a gait in the medical community. Mm-hmm. I love to call it a swagger. <laughs> Do you know, I walk, awesome. I, walk, I walk with a disability, but in primary school, I didn't use a wheelchair because I didn't need to, you know. Um, David Zamet would carry me up the hills because I couldn't get up the hills. You know, beautiful stuff happened in my primary school because luckily for us back in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have this thing called public liability. Mm. And we certainly didn't associate um, disability with risk like we do now. And I remember, I remember vividly when I felt disabled for the first time in my life was that when I was 14, ironically, before I broke my first world record because public liability became a thing. The only reason I know about public liability when I was 14 is because the teachers in the school started to say to me, oh, you know, David Zemmett can't carry you up, this, up the hills anymore and he can't, go up the, he can't go up the steps. You'll have to get a wheelchair to go across the road to that particular class or that particular school. You won't be able to play handball at 7.30 in the morning. I used to go to school early to play handball. Loved handball. You know, loved doing elastics. Was GK on the netball team. You can't even imagine how bad I was, but I loved it. That's what I did. You know, I'm a kid yeah, that's like, kid. I'm five foot now. Um, I was probably 30 kilos in grade 10. I couldn't lift my arms above my head, still can't. I was not built for GK, but I, just, I was still playing GK. And I certainly didn't have any great ambition to be a Paralympic swimmer because I'd never heard about it. None of us had had in the 90s about Paralympics or disabled sports. So when that came in, my life completely flipped on its head and I couldn't go up the stairs anymore for drama class. And you've met me, you know that I'm totally meant to be on, you know, on some sort of stage or, you know. (laughs) You worked that out. You did well. You got yourself on that (laughs) stage, girl. (laughs) Yeah, and I had to, what we had to do, we had to fight for me to go up the steps to school because schools back then weren't accessible and guess what? They're still not. The world we live in is not accessible. So it was such a shift and then my grandfather died um, suddenly of a heart attack when I was just before I went to that um, particular event in China where I broke that world record. And he was literally, his name is Archie, which is my darling Bubba's middle name, Archie. Okay. And um, he was my, he was everything to me apart from my own parents because when I was eight or nine, he sat me down on his lap and there was like some picture in the paper, morning bulletin with me swimming. And I wasn't, like obviously I wasn't a great swimmer back then. I certainly wasn't a great swimmer even th- even when he died. But I it was I could kind of like, you know, a motivational, inspirational type <laughs> article in the morning bulletin. and like, disabled kid can swim, you know. Like, and I didn't know that, of course. But anyway, so my grandfather, Archie, put me on his lap, Poppy, and said, you've got a perfect stroke and pointed to me in this picture and said, you've got a perfect that was That was all he said. And I remember as an eight-year-old kid, and I can still remember exactly what he wore, what he smelt like, where the microwave was, everything about that moment. You talk about trauma. There's also an opposite thing to trauma called uh, bliss and perfection. And that was a moment. So you remember everything with trauma. You remember that, 
smell, everything. The, the exact same reaction can happen when you have a moment of epiphany or bliss, whatever you want to call it, joy. So I can remember what he was wearing, you know, the good old white Bond singlets, his baby powder. He always wore baby powder. I can remember that. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm good. It was very simple. And he thinks I'm good at something. And more importantly, he thought I was strong. And I hadn't felt strong or good at anything because obviously I was weak and disabled and different and couldn't keep up. And I was trying to live this life that I wasn't those things. Mm. And then he died when I was 14 or 15. And it was obviously tragic for all of us. Um, But, yeah, my dad was supposed to do the eulogy at his funeral. I was 14 and I wasn't a Paralympian or known speaker. I'd never done a speech before. Mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he broke down just before he was supposed to go on stage to do his eulogy. And weirdly I got up, you know, 14-year-old kid with the calipers on, walked up the steps, wow. grabbed his piece of paper, and I did his eulogy. Really? And everyone thought obviously that was prepared and planned, and I just did it. And I remember, oh, gosh, it was only a few years ago that I really thought about that and thought, wow, my grandfather directed me onto that podium, onto that, because from that moment onwards, after that eulogy, I was known because my dad, my grandfather was very well known in the town that I, in Rocky and my, and my father's very well known for sport. Mm. And I was just known as the kid that could speak before I broke the world record. So then I became debating champion and school captain and good, you know, every assembly. So it was in my little world, I was a speaker, which was, became part of my identity. And then I broke the world record, which meant that I did have a perfect stroke. <laughs> it was right. And then from then on, I've been a speaker in some capacity, whether it's my best mate's wedding or, you know, as you know, like your beautiful other half, Nat, everywhere, we're always the speakers. But yeah. I truly believe that that was um, a direction my grandfather put me on and it just it saved me in so many ways and that public liability came on came in because I reckon I would have I would never have been courageous enough to stand up for myself and say no I'm going up those stairs for drama this is what I want to do with my life and we figured it out by fighting unfortunately but we figured it out with a with a legal letter that said I won't sue the school if I fall down the steps and next minute I was up doing my drama class and I guess weirdly I haven't uh, looked back but yeah those moments can either shape you or uh, disable you and luckily for me it shaped me so I'm totally touched by that story and and my question to you and maybe it's not conscious when your grandfather told you that you had perfect stroke do you think Mm -hmm. you adopt that became your new truth like the because so many things happen from that moment you know the the courage to stand up and do the eulogy for your dad and, and actually, you know, kind of step into what was possible for you. Did it give you wings or do you, can you even verbalize what happened no. from that moment? It's hard. Eh? I can now, I can yeah. now cause I've had, you know, obviously lots of time to reflect and I've studied a lot in the, in human behavior, but here's the thing, even though I'm missing, so I, pretty much the rundown of my disease is I'm missing muscles. That's a really simplistic version. So I was mm-hmm. born, and obviously back then we didn't know what I had because there was no MRI scans of my muscles and muscle biopsies and EEGs and all those disgusting things that we do now um, <laughs> for us to diagnose. So I, ignorance is bliss in a lot of ways, I believe, with a lot of this stuff. So I didn't know 
And my parents didn't know that I did not have glute muscles or I did not have hamstrings and I did not have scat muscles, which are really big, huge, important muscles to walk, ride a bike, swim, swim, jump, squat. But weirdly, here's the thing about my grandfather is that he wasn't lying. Yeah. When I say that, I look back at my swimming career and you can probably talk to anyone about this. I have weirdly got the actual muscle, the only muscles you need to swim. So I can't lift my arms above my head on land, but I can do it in the water. Mm. You really need certain muscles when you swim. You don't really need glutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really don't. Thank it's goodness. A weird, yeah. But I didn't choose that because I didn't have glutes. I didn't know I didn't have glutes until I was like, I think I was like 28 when I, someone told me I didn't have glutes on an MRI scan. I was like, what? So that meant, you know, meant I couldn't be Kim Kardashian, but really who cares? I mean, I don't have glutes. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I sit in a wheelchair, so you can't see my bum anyway. <laughs> and then, but yeah, weirdly he wasn't lying. So if you look at this particular photo, I actually kind of do have a, a, a close to perfect stroke. Mm. And I, I had a beautiful, I had a beautiful freestyle. Yeah. Um, even now when I jump in the pool as a, you know, has been 40 year old mum, nobody would know in that pool that I was disabled. It's the only place in the world I'm not disabled. I'm disabled everywhere. And how does that feel? Yeah, it feels free. It feels, I think it feels like you can switch off. Like, cause when you walk, you're, you're so obviously disabled. When you're in a wheelchair, you're so obviously disabled. Even in a car, like mm. back in the day when I drove, I just said, rare four or a four wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Again, it was freeing because nobody knew. Now I drive a wheelchair, now a wheelchair van, so I've got Kai. So the the water is the only place that nobody knows, and it feels, mate. There's nothing quite like the drug of majority or being typical um, when you're so not. <laughs> it feels nice to be hidden, you know, just for a minute and and strong. I love. I just still love passing people. <laughs> In the public in the pool? lane. <laughs> I do, yeah. But then, sorry, really my, my humour <laughs> then wants you to get back in your chair right after. Well, I have to. My chair's always there, right? My yeah. chair's always there. And no one knows whose chair it is. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I think. My, you're humorous too. It's yeah. like, and then you get in the chair and you go, oh, too bad. Next time to the other guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, okay. Yeah, and that's the, thing about, that's the thing about when you find something you're good at, right? You feel... It's that feeling of being uh, strong. Everyone's good at something. Um, I'm not just good at swimming and I'm certainly not good enough to be at the, at the level I was at, but it still feels nice to feel just, yeah, strong in anything. So you're, me, you're raising some deep questions in my, that I want to ask you because maybe you've never thought about this, but being free is what seems to inspire a lot of people, meaning they're looking mm. for financial freedom or life, you know, relational freedom. However, if the pool is that place where you feel free, to me, that means that there's a lot of places where you feel a lot of constraint, like challenges there for you. You know, now as a mom as well, you were just saying that, you know, the park is supposed to be this joyous thing to do with your kids, but let's be honest, parents, of this, the age you've got, the park is freaking hard. And for you, it's even Ugh. harder. Okay. So my question is, how do you think that constraint or challenge has helped you be so successful? Yeah. I don't think any parent loves the park. 
<laughs> I reckon if we could all take a beer to the park, we would. Let's be honest. It's not the most. It's all about the child. So the beauty of being a parent is everything is about you. The sacrifices you make as a parent is endless. And one of them, I think most able-bodied parents don't love the park. I really hate the park because unless I'm in, so if I'm in the chair, well, I have to be in my chair because I can't lift Kai if I'm not in my wheelchair. So I can walk and wheel, right? So I can walk short okay. distances and I use the chair for longer distances. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's, it's really weird because I just said to a guy last night out loud, which is interesting. So I just met him and he was like, um, he just had his accident uh, 11 months ago. He broke his, uh, he broke his back. So he's now paraplegic and he was a doctor and so he's real, what we call a newbie, right? So I should have picked up that he was a newbie, but for some reason I didn't. And I sort of launched into some conversations that you certainly don't have with newly disabled people. And I was talking about that I haven't felt, uh, I've never really disliked being disabled. You know, I've never really, I've certainly never searched for answers or um, cures. And I get why people do, but I never have been that person. I've never like, you know, really wanted to be cured and spent nights thinking about being cured. And what would I do if I got cured? And, oh, gosh, I hope stem cell. I wouldn't go to India to get stem cell research, you know, like people do. I get what people do, but that's never been my path. I've never, all I've wanted to do is get, you know, obviously some answers to my parents and, and me. Now I've had Kai, I certainly don't care. But, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, weird. Being a parent has made me kind of want to not be weak. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. it has been a big it has been challenging in a lot of ways. It's like being disabled for the first time again, because mm-hmm. I wasn't really ever disabled as a child because my parents just, you know, I guess huddled around me and lifted me and protected me from that, that I didn't ever feel disabled. And like I said, since I was 14. So it's like all, all of a sudden being diagnosed again with a disability because there's so many things I can't do as a parent, which you don't realise until you become one. And I'm guessing even able-bodied people, there are so many things you go, wow, that's way harder than I anticipated motherhood to be. So this is not a, this is not new to me because I have a disability or a muscle disease where I'm weaker and can't do certain things. I think it's every mother, would, if they were really truthful, would say, oh, wow, I hate night time or I, you know, gosh, I dread going to the park or breastfeeding or whatever it is. There's, Everyone's got their thing. Mine has been a really big learning mm-hmm. experience about having a disability for the first time at 40, which is interesting. And that is, wow. there are so many things that I can't do with Kai because he's reliant on me physically. He's reliant. Like, I can't just pick him up and walk out to get a bottle or if he's lost his dummy, I can't just go, you know, it's not just an easy process for me. Um, mm-hmm. I can't just get easily get him in the car, you know, lifting yeah. him into a car. That's far out, man. That's... The hardest part about my day is getting in the car, especially now he's two. It was I thought it was hard when he was a newborn. Mm-hmm. Holy, yeah, wow. Now he's got views on that, and and he's fourteen point five kilos at two, ninety seventh percentile, whatever the hell that means. He's big. Oh he's strong. Gosh. He's stubborn. He's you know he, he wants to go in the front seat and drive the bloody car. So that's a challenge because I can't get to him. Mm-hmm. He's a runner. You know, just recently we went for a walk around the neighbourhood here, which we've done for many, many months. No problems. We go around in my chair and it's cute. And, yeah, just recently he ran into someone's garage oh, wow. with a Mercedes in it. I couldn't get in the garage 
at all in my chair because it was like tight. He went to the front of the garage where the car was. I couldn't get to him. I could tell there was people in their house because the lights were on. So I'm like, you know, trying to be like, guy, guy, you know, get here. And I had no bra on, no shoes because in a wheelchair, you kind of get away with that. <laughs> Maybe not, but I'm just, I was tired and didn't expect to be standing out of my wheelchair. I was standing out of my wheelchair trying to get my child away from their Mercedes, couldn't get to him. Oh. And even if I got to him, I couldn't lift him because I'm out of my chair. Yeah, right. So I'm thinking if they come out now, how am I going to quickly describe to them what the hell is going on? Like, I can't say, hey, I'm braless and shoeless because that, that's kind of normal because you can't really tell in a chair because you can't really tell you haven't got your shoes on. And, you know, I feel like I can get away with a bit in a chair going around the neighbourhood and I can't lift him because my chair's over there where the gutter is because I can't get up the gutter. Hey, Carney, just... Carney, just, just one second. The internet just got strange. So I'm going to edit this little bit right now. Yeah. So if you just, um, we got to the part and we'll, we'll take two in a sec here. No Can worries. you repeat that even you said, even if I got to him, I wouldn't be able to lift him. So if you can yeah. just take two from there. <laughs> yeah. So I was standing up like being a psycho mother, you know, like trying to be cool, but internally going crazy saying, God, God, get here. So I, even if I got to him, I knew he'd run and I couldn't lift him without me being in my wheelchair. So he also had a plastic dinosaur in his hand, which was a hard plastic dinosaur. He then proceeded to bang the hard, sharp plastic T-Rex onto the Mercedes bonnet. So I am dying, right? (laughs) So finally, another kid came out of nowhere, not their kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, can you please help me get him? Mm -hmm. So he got him for me. He -hmm. then put him on my lap in the wheelchair. And I remember wheeling home going, don't, it's not his fault. Yes. You know, it's what kids do. But that was the end of me ever, ever walking with Kai alone. That was it. That was the end of it. Got it. Gosh, and it's so lim- like, no, I was limiting. Pissed, I was bloody pissed. And, I'm, yeah. and I've never been one of those society people that was pissed off at the world mm-hmm. because my life has been so kind of, it's been amazing be- because of it mm-hmm. and in spite of it. Whatever, whatever the words you want to put around it. And I love my friends that I've met through disability. In fact, you know, I feel, I just, yeah, I would never, ever, ever want to be cured because I'd, I don't want to lose them or the, Mm-hmm. All that stuff that I, and I guess our, our, everyone talks about our attitude and yeah, of course, there's so much about my attitude that's been born from, from having this, whatever you challenge, disability lifestyle. I get over things really quickly and all that stuff. And I love my body and I'm really appreciative of the muscle I can have. But yeah, the last couple of years have been challenging physically and emotionally because there is a lot of things I want to do with that kid that I can't do. How do you deal with being fronted with that limitation? So mothering then, I'm sure when you were swimming, there were some limit, like limitations in terms of, you know, challenges, I suppose, at the end of the day. So when you're faced with that, what's your, your kind of MO? Like what, what happens? So you get, maybe you get pissed off and then what happens next? Plain. (laughs) It's always like, I want to do that, but I, I still do it. I now hire a support worker and make sure. So we go around the block together now. 
And he, and I know that he will grow out of this running phase and we'll be able to walk around the block mm-hmm. again by ourselves. Mm-hmm. But right now, and I used to be able to take him to the park, even though it was challenging, but I could always catch him, right? And he didn't climb trees and he didn't climb up to the top of the playground. Now he does. And I can't get him down. So that is physically impossible, dangerous for him. I don't put him in danger. And, and also it's embarrassing. There's a lot of... There's a lot of questions when I was pregnant and since from the public. People with disabilities always talk about that if they could change anything about the disability, it would be other people's reactions to them. And mm-hmm. that's always been my thing. It really is. Like I've never thought to myself, oh, man, I've got this restaurant and there's no ramp. Woe is me. I've never been upset by that stuff. I've been upset when I get to the restaurant or the nightclub or whatever it is. I don't go to nightclubs anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Um, That's another interview. Yeah. But when they say you can't come in here because we're not accessible or you're a fire hazard or, you know, reject me purely based on my disability. Um, That happens all the time. That really, you know, infuriates me and really disappoints me in the human race that that still happens. Um, Especially because all you have to do is figure out a way for me to get into that place. And it's usually pretty simple to get me in. But, yeah, I guess for me, um, the reactions to me being pregnant and having a child with a disability, uh, being a mother, sorry, um, with a disability, oh, whoa, that was a whole different kettle of fish. And really I thought to myself, if you went on to an able-bodied mother right now and said to her, how are you going to look after your child? you would get the wrath. You would get an uppercut. You would get, you know, you'd be abused. You know that if you went up to an anybody mother and said, oh, my gosh, how are you going to bath your child? How are you going to look after your child? Mm-hmm. How are you going to run after your child when he runs away or she runs away? Or is your mum going to move in with you? Are you going to get carers? Oh, my God, how are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. Is your child going to have your disability? You can only imagine you've been pregnant. Imagine being inundated with that from strangers everywhere you went for nine months. And beyond it, it it's been unreal it's been very it's been bloody challenging you know what i what you're so great for and this is why you're so such a great speaker is you bring us into those scenarios that we don't face or can't even imagine facing and then you let us almost be better you know like because it's an education because yeah. i didn't know that you're I didn't know that you're getting rejected at places like I can't even imagine how infuriating um yeah so I I was right there with you being infuriated and then I I can only you you would get similar questions obviously in the situation you got ladies are in because people are intrigued and they don't realize that it's not okay to ask those questions because it's not the first time we've been asked them Mm. it could be the 10th time that day you know, if I got that asked that once in my pregnancy, then it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't upset me. But if I've had to justify my pregnancy as a female, <laughs> um, then, yeah, it, it does yeah. get infuriating. And my 40th birthday, we were told, I mean, gosh, I can't even believe we actually wanted to go out. I had 20 girlfriends go, come away with me for my 40th at Noosa. Mm-hmm. And we had the best time. God, I've never felt so loved in my life. It was truly sensational in every possible way but we decided we want to go out dancing right 
And you can imagine 20, pretty much 20 mums, you know, mums gone wild. <laughs> yeah. God, there was hardly any nightclubs open because I didn't have had a curfew. And yeah, we got rejected because I was in a wheelchair. They said, no, no access, wow. fire hazard. And this has been things that, that happened. This happens to us everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't fight that night, right? I, I, I literally wheeled away. My best friend fought it. I was just um, fatigued from it. I'm yeah. bored of it. And I just think to myself, there is no law and no reason why I couldn't go into that place because I can walk probably, I can walk and I'm stronger and I'm healthier than pretty much half that line of people. I'm not the riskiest person that line. They'll let 80 year olds in or they'll let people with heart conditions in, drunk people, obese people, whatever, all those mm-hmm. labels that I, I just use, mm-hmm. which I shouldn't use, but the social worker, but it's true. They'll let anyone in. But they yeah. go, oh, she's in a wheelchair. She's riskier. How is that even? That's not even true, let alone not right. It's, not, it's actually not true. I'm not riskier in any way, shape or form. And it's a stereotype that disables us a lot in the mm. world and especially in Western worlds. Because funnily enough, in <laughs> if you go to third world countries, you go to bloody Bali or Fiji, um, places that are completely inaccessible infrastructure-wise, Right, they'll pick you up out of your chair. They'll carry a wheelchair, thirty kilo wheelchair over their heads. Mate, they don't care. they'll just figure it out. <laughs> bulla, bulla, bulla. Because they bulla, just think, oh, you know, she's the customer. We'll figure this out. It's just a bloody piece of machinery. You got Aboriginal communities. They chuck the wheelchair in the ute. No one worries about risk out there. They figure it out. I just think, wow, how how do we get like this? How well, how did this funny. happen? It's not true. This whole idea of able body and disabled Mm. is that i'm thinking that that society we put the ability we limit the ability because like you just said i can do those things you're telling me i can't but i can and so this this is it's it's interesting because it's such a social um issue and what i yeah yeah. sorry (laughs) no no don't yeah exactly and i but see this is what i love about you is that this is your why you came into the world and accidentally got pregnant you know (laughs) in order to in order to then now educate and um influence and i think it's the ability like to be able to share the narrative to be able to tell the story like you can tell it is really important too because some a lot of people will have your experience but they can't say it the way that you say it and this is what i really appreciate about you and i feel like there's about a hundred more things that I want to chat to you about. And (laughs) if you're okay with it, I'd love to have you back on a couple of different topics, you know, and really, you know, zone in to those topics because, because I really, um, I feel like I know more, I understand more and I have more, um, I can have more compassion, but I also feel like we're having the same conversation as a mom, these same limitations. I was just talking to, um, Nat's dad, you know, granddad about this yesterday. It's like, kids challenge me mentally like I've never been challenged like that I always feel like I have an Mm. answer or I know Mm -hmm. how to navigate a situation maybe not always in sport but ultimately but a child to me every single thing you would do in another situation like I relate to that car scenario because you think the ultimate thing that you're going to do is the physical in the end you know like the grab them approach but ultimately in the long game of parenting it it's just we, I think this is my take on it. We think we're raising them and they're raising us and, yeah. and, and they're raising us to a level of 
of answers that I just don't know, you know, I don't have, and I'm not used to not having the answers. So I just appreciated everything that you said about parenting, what you're talking about disability, how it really is in the world today. And thank goodness that you're the ambassador for the disability scheme in particular. Um, I think your voice will continue to, to forge new ground. I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? Is it's taking us to that next step. Cause I think countries think that they're doing better by um, making new laws and you've demonstrated that it's actually can be more limiting. So um, I think you've got a lot to say and I hope you're okay that we leave people hungry for more because we're going to bring you more if you're cool (laughs) with it, Carney. Are you good with that? I'm totally, but what I I want to just end with as well with all the stuff I said about parenting is that what makes you a good mother and I'm certainly not saying that I'm a perfect mother or, or even a great mother but it's got nothing to do with my glute muscles or my hamstrings or my scats. You know, my yeah. kid's not going to go to a psychologist because I don't have glute muscles and I couldn't pick him up off the playground and couldn't get him behind, get him from behind that Mercedes. So mm-hmm. I think all the things that the society thinks limits me is your view. I certainly mm-hmm. give him everything that I can give him. And I, I think there are so many pros to having a disability as well. You know, mm-hmm. like my kid loves being on my lap in the wheelchair, loves it. I've never had a fight with my kid ever about prams. He loves it. He's obsessed with it. He's happy. He, he certainly has, there's a certain, there's pros to disability and it's not negative. And I think that if we can change that mindset, even though there's been challenges of being a mum with a disability, there are also like absolutely pros to it. And the challenges are often attitude and we can change our attitude towards it. That's a very easy thing to change. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I will wish for you bliss moments like your your Archie, your grandfather gave you. And um, isn't that what we all want to create is bliss moments for ourselves and others. So thank you so much for today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.